everyone, welcome back to ESPN Scrum 5, ESPN's weekly podcast review of rugby in the Southern Hemisphere. I'm Andy Withers, and as usual, joined by Sam Bruce. Hello, Sam. How are you? Good, thanks, Andy. Great to have you back in the host chair this week. <laughs> and the special guests keep on coming. That They do. They do. We have great depth off the bench these days on, on Scrum 5. Uh, our boss, Lance Peaty. Hello, Lance. How are you? Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. And it has to be said, Lance isn't in the podcast this week just because he's our boss, but uh, he probably knows a fair bit more about rugby than anyone else and is also the author of In Pursuit of Bill, A Complete History of the Rugby World Cup. So um, I believe that's available in all good bookshops and online, Lance. Indeed, all good bookstores and Big W and Dimmix too, if you need specifics. (laughs) (laughs) Enough of the blatant plugs and uh, let's get into it because we've got a fair bit on and uh, the reason we have got Lance in today, uh, point one, the Reds have claimed their first win of the season and uh, Lance, passionate Queenslander, things all good north of the Tweed and uh, you must be ecstatic about that victory against the Highlanders. Great victory, really, really good one to get on the board with uh, for, for this season. Full time couldn't come soon enough, but uh, <laughs> they, they really did well and it just showed that, that a lot of hard work since Richard Graham's been moved on has uh, come to fruition finally. Yeah, and, and Sam, without devaluing the, the, the Reds' efforts, fair to say that the Highlanders probably weren't at their best. I, can't remember seeing a Highlanders team drop so much pill, really. No, I think clearly their worst performance probably of the last two seasons. Um, the amount of ball, as you mentioned, Andy, that, that hit the floor, uh, passes not hitting their mark, and just really simple, simple errors that we, we don't associate with the Highlanders from the last couple of years. Started to get it together in the second half and yeah. actually had two tries that were disallowed, rightfully disallowed. Um, but yeah, that'll be a game that uh, may well come back to bite them. Yeah, and it has to be said for those of us that were a perfect seven from seven in ESPN Footy Tip Super <laughs> Rugby, it's uh, you're right. The full time whistle couldn't come soon enough. Sam, it has to be said though that first half the Reds were superb. They built that 22-6 lead. Um, what mind your thoughts on what went right there, and equally what went wrong second half? Oh, it was just the basics, Andy. A really simple game plan, uh, hitting Semu Karevi up in midfield. I reckon he probably had about six or seven runs and, and broke the line every time. Mm. Um, he was exceptional. Uh, Nick Frisbee was very good at number 90. Support play, I think, is probably only behind TJ Paranara in terms of halfbacks across Super Rugby. And, of course, Liam Gill uh, <laughs> coming back was, was just brilliant at number seven. And um, I think there's a really good article coming from Greg Groudon on the uh, unlucky fortunes of Liam Gill. Yeah. Uh, he's going to be massively missed uh, in Queensland at the end of this season, but um, you know he's hoping he comes back in a couple of years and, and what a player he might be then. Yeah, and, and Lance, we, we've was referenced this as the, the first victory of the season, but there seems to have been a, a, a it's almost a journey of improvement under uh, Nick Styles and, and Matt O'Connor since, since Richard Graham has, uh, has disappeared. What do you put that down to? Oh, look, massive improvement. I think that one of the things, there's a lot being made of Karevi getting over the, the gain line and, and how much that improved the Reds, but their defence in the back line was actually, you know, forcing quite a few mistakes on the Highlanders. Don't forget one, Ant Fanger, he's actually, uh, he, he's a really good defender and he, he you know, got a, got a few Wallabies caps under the, in the Robbie Deans era, mm-hmm. mainly for being such a great defender. Um I'm not sure he's back up to where he was back then, but it certainly helped a lot, I think, for the Reds' cause. Um, in terms of how they're going with uh, the coaching structure, I, I feel like it's working for them at the moment, having two head coaches. I don't think that's sustainable. Um, I, I think it's it's one of those situations where 
feels like the administration wasn't game to make a call as to who <laughs> should be the head coach for 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 that period of time. Um, it's working at the moment, but you you have to think that within a month or two, as you get to the pointy end of the season, when decisions really need to be made, um, that that may come back to bite them. Yeah, and it's I mean it's set was it Sam when uh, the Brumbies had Laurie Fisher and Steve Larkham that at the real pointy end of the season it, it probably didn't work the, the two coaching two coaching structure no that's right um, I would like to see one of these guys get the job going forward because I, I think you know as we've mentioned there's been a noticeable incline in the, in the Reds performance since they took over but getting to that decision of, of just who that is well that's going to be incredibly tough yeah I know I think Lance you, you mentioned the defence how that's improved it, it's one of the great things that we all say defence is a, a matter of attitude and I think probably the heart and the spirit is back in the team where it seemed blatantly to be absent under the, certainly the final few games of, of Richard Graham's era. Absolutely. And uh, look, we all know that the Ford Pack has been doing the job for the Reds this year. It really has been uh, the backs and, and basically how they've been coordinating their effort together that's that's failed them. Um, but the defensive effort was huge. And then Karevi over the game line and that just put, that just put everyone forward. I think the, the forwards going forward, as we know, um, created a... Yeah. Um, Henrik Tui, the Japanese international at number six, had a really good, really strong first half. Absolutely. Yeah. That's a nice segue, Sam, into a reference to your piece earlier in the week on uh, Pick and Go talking about the Reds recruitment drive and there's, there's a few whispers around the tracks that, that the Reds are pretty keen to get one Will Gania, one Quade Cooper and Scott Higginbottom back in the ranks. Yeah. So, uh, truth to that and would that improve the, the squad? Well it's certainly a bit of talk out there Andy. I think around Genia in particular. Uh, he's been over at Stade Francais uh, since last well, post-World Cup, um, had a knee injury. I think only played about four or five games and only just recently returned over there. By all reports, not having the greatest of time in Paris. Um, Quaid, we know, has been spending a bit of time with a seven side in between mm-hmm. his role with Toulon and there's been murmurings over at Toulon this season that things aren't quite right in the, the kind of total makeup of that squad. Um, and Scotty Higginbotham over in Japan. Uh, three guys who are Reds greats and were central to that 2011 Super Rugby Triumph. Mm-hmm. In my opinion, getting them back now is the wrong move, though. Let me premise this by saying they're <laughs> wonderful guys and talented rugby players, but I just think now for them to go back to those guys would be a backward step and would take the Reds back to what they were at the start of the season. And then when they left again, they'd be in this hole again that they've now just started to climb out of. I think Nick Frisbee has served his apprenticeship under Will Genia. Yep, yep. Um, as I said, he's got a tremendous running game. I think his box kick and his passing game are improving. And certainly Jake McIntyre is raw. He needs more time. But those guys, bringing those guys back, I think at this stage, would be a real dent in confidence. And I think personally that Nick Frisbee would pick up and take his bundle elsewhere, leaving Reds without a player who they've developed over the last few years. And then when Genia would no doubt probably head off in a couple of years again or even retire, his body's probably starting to age a little bit. Yeah, yeah that um, it's just going to leave them in this same hole again. I would be backing these players now uh, for the future, and I think they can really improve this season and head on uh, down the track as well. Now, Lance, I know you've got a slightly different opinion here, particularly about Quade Cooper. Well, I'm just I'm not in total agreement here because uh, at the end of the day, Genier and Cooper are 28 years old. We're not talking about some washed-up 35-year-olds here. These guys were, were part of the Fab Five back in the, the era of the Wallabies um, doing semi-OK under under Robbie Deans to the back end of the era anyway. Um, and, look, I, I think 
there's, they've still got a fair bit to offer, particularly Reds rugby. Um, there might be some questions over Ganier and in terms of the injury and, and will he ever get back to that form that we know um, was you know, paramount to the Reds claiming the 2011 title. But I think for, for Quade Cooper, the, the actual um, the brain that is Quade Cooper, to what he could bring to that team and what he could offer in the development of Jake McIntyre, I think is really has to be considered. We know McIntyre's extremely raw. I think he's adapted quite well, in the la- particularly in the last two to three weeks, he's really adapted quite nicely. Uh, I think he's had some senior folks in his ears trying to, to tell him to just you know, take those few steps forward when he gets the ball uh, to get everyone going forward. But I think, I, I'm not necessarily sure it, it will, um, it, it certainly may have a negative uh, impact on, on someone like Frisbee. Uh, he's definitely done his time under under Gannier and, and, and you're right, if, if, if Gannier did come back then maybe he would look for pastures new. So that could be a backward step there. But I, I think, look, you've got to give a consideration. That, that combination, it was bums on seats at uh, Suncorp Stadium. That that's the golden era for the Reds. They aren't washed up just yet, guys. Hold the phone. <laughs> how how far off, you know, being a, a top super rugby player is McIntyre? How, how, how many more years do we think he's he's got to go in his development to say under a Quade Cooper or, or under someone? Because he, you you would think that if there were a more senior five eighth on deck, that he wouldn't be he wouldn't be ten each week. I think he's got the makings and he's got the right fit around him at the moment. Mm-hmm. By keeping Frisbee there gives them an opportunity to build a combination. Yeah. And whether it's keeping Ant Fanger, who, as Lance said, a wonderful defender, and certainly Sam McCrevy, he's got all the structure there that he doesn't really need to overplay his hand. He can just you know play off Frisbee's running game, feed it up to Karevi at outside centre, bring Edo Nabuli in off the wing, who's made a pretty smooth transition from the NRL. I think he's got the building blocks around him so that he can just make steady progress, just play a real sort of solid, you know, if he goes out and turns in five, six out of ten games each week for the next two years, I think that would be perfect development for him going forward, purely because he's got the right setup at the moment around him. Interesting thoughts. I think we'll probably get on to uh, point two because we, we might be here quite a while otherwise. And um, <laughs> Quade Cooper is actually a nice segue into the, the second point. And uh, we, we're talking about the sevens, uh, and it's increasingly on the radar, particularly in, in Australian rugby. Uh, we've just had the Hong Kong sevens, uh, great success as always. Um, and the RU have, have just announced their annual reports with $9.8 million loss which would be substantially different were it not for the success of Sevens and, and the, pro- the program there. But the, the question I'd, I'd like to ask here is, we, there's been a lot of talk about the glamour 15 players in, in Australia. That's Quade Cooper, Henry Spate, Nick Cummins. In New Zealand, it's Sonny Bill Williams. South Africa, say, we've, we've got uh, Francois Hogart and, and Brian Habana. They've not necessarily been an unqualified success, Sam. And... I guess they're only in sevens this year because of the Olympic Games. They're probably not going to be in sevens next year. They'll be back in 15s or boxing or, or rugby league if you're Sonny Bill Williams. Um, how long does it take to learn sevens? And Is a year enough? I think it's certainly looking like it's probably not long enough. Um, I would say Sonny Bill is a lock. He will be in Rio, absolutely. Whether he plays a leading role in that New Zealand squad, they've had a few injuries. So I think he's got some things to prove, certainly, in these final three tournaments, uh, Singapore this weekend and then Paris and London next month. But, um, you know, for me, Quaid, again, Lance is probably going (laughs) to disagree with me here, but I think what you're going to get from Quaid 
is certainly going to be rocks or diamonds. And I think the way what he's shown us so far is that so far the rocks have outweighed the diamonds. And I think there's enough talent throughout that Aussie 7 squad. And they've been steadily improving this year. Lewis Holland's really come on. Mm-hmm. Sam Myers is playing well. Then obviously you've got the solid, the skipper, uh, Ed Jenkins and Cameron Clark, who is the, the go-to playmaker, if you like. Um, yeah, it's... it's. I don't think 12 months... Well, certainly in some cases, it's really only three, four, five months, isn't it? Yeah. But, you know, up to maybe max five tournaments. So, yeah, look, um, SBW will be there. Quaid, I reckon, is 50-50. And Henry Spade and Nick Cummins for Australia, I don't think we'll get there. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting topic, Lance, because in, in the UK as well, they're talking about bringing some 15s players. Um, it is just a hugely different game, isn't it? A different skill set, different physical needs as well, different different body type. Uh, I think it is, and and you'll be glad to know, Sammy, I do agree with you on, on Quaid in sevens. I, I feel like he, he definitely needed a bit more development um, in the sevens game. He's, he's what, We all know he's got that brilliance, and you know he can probably pass further on, on the width of the field and, and hit the chest of any player, but it just hasn't materialised in, in that form of the game. Um, he, he definitely needed... He, the runway's too short for Rio for him uh, to have a huge impact. I hope I'm proven wrong, but uh, and most other Australians probably... We will, but I will say, guys, I think the major rugby playing nations in the world have an obligation to put forward the big names around sevens rugby. Um, it, it's an Olympic sport now. This is transformational for the sport, um, and I, I feel like that all the major countries really do have an obligation to put forward the big names. These are the names that run around at the, the Rugby World Cups and, and you know, the ones that, that all the kids look up to. Um, that, that will actually translate to raising the profile of Sevens Rugby full stop. So um, let's not forget some of the, the really positive stats like um, in the US the, the fastest growing team sport is actually rugby. Yeah, yep. um, so, and a lot of that is attributed to Sevens Rugby. So there is, there is some phenomenal growth to come out of this of sevens being played in Rio um, I, I think you know for the, the the main rugby playing nations we will debate this till the end of time at well until they all get to Rio and show us their wares as to whether those um, 15s players can adapt to that format but I, I strongly feel that all the major nations have to get some big names involved and it's good to see that Australia New Zealand and South Africa and England to, to come soon with uh, with their big names as well um, are, are putting them in the mix yeah it, well it's a really interesting thought isn't it because it's you know the the Olympics Games isn't just the end of the journey it's just the, the, probably just the first step on the, the development of sevens absolutely and I think the next the next world seven series is the one that will feel the brunt of how sevens is an olympic sport um now we all know that some of these big names might just fly off back to the 15s because because there's a rugby world cup just around the corner again in japan but but look that's that's the nature of how it'll ebb and flow i guess across uh the two different formats for for years to come but it really will be the next world seven series that feels the brunt of of the growth of the game in video Yep. And Sam, before we leave the topic of sevens, let, let's discuss the Australian Opals as well. They've uh, won again in Atlanta, just the hottest of hot gold medal favourites. And um, as we've seen it in, in press releases this week from the ARU about their, their annual uh, statements and five-year strategic plans, women's rugby's booming, in, in, and particularly sevens rugby's booming in Australia. Yeah, the Aussie Pearls, they've uh, swept the uh, World Women's Series so far this year, beating the All Black... Well, 
the what are they, the silver no silver ferns in New Zealand? Seven sisters. Seven, oh, okay, over there in Atlanta, um, got out to a nice little lead in the final and survived a bit of a fight back from the Kiwi girls. Uh, yeah, some really it's a really good story, isn't it? These girls are just absolutely dominating. Uh, brought in uh, players from touch footy, athletics backgrounds. Um, all under the guise of Tim Walsh who appears to be doing a really good job and, and these girls are red hot gold medal favourites for Rio um, and I think really starting to feel the support of the Australian nation there's um, been various stories out there in the media across all publications in print, television and online about um, just how good these girls are going and they're richly deserving of it Yeah, it really is a great story um, the point three guys, and one of the, the big breaking stories, uh, we knew it was coming this week, but the appointment of Alistair Kutzer as uh, Springboks coach, replacing Heine Kamaya, who, um, well, I think he fell on his sword, didn't he, after the Rugby World Cup. Sam, what, what do you make of, of this decision? It's an interesting one. Um, it's certainly, uh, yeah, um, a, a move to a new era of Springboks rugby. Um, I actually wrote after the semi final loss to the All Blacks, which was only four points, mind you. But the amount of rugby the Springboks played in that game compared to what the All Blacks did was um, was stark. They um, they really just need to, to transform their game. I think they've got to go away from this this bash and barge up front, this you know ten man rugby with box kicks and a chase essentially. Whether Alistair could see is the man to do that, we all know. Remember him from his time at the Stormers. They were a wonderful defensive side, but their attack was just you know right down in the bottom three or four sides year in, year out. Um, and I think what we learned in Super Rugby anyway, and it might be different at Test Rugby, that you can't win a tournament without a decent attack. Yeah. Um, he's also got to deal with um, being, you know, overseeing this transformation to bring in, you know, more non-white players into the spring box, which is, you know, an issue that um, is unique to them. Um, and something that, um, you know, amid the political... Uh, status over of South Africa at the moment is, is a tough thing to do. Um, so yeah, he's certainly, it's a big job, um, but I think was really probably only the clear candidate left standing in the end. Yeah. I think there's a real probably, you know, dearth of a lack of top international coaches certainly coming out of South Africa. Um, you know, they would never go and, and hire a, a New Zealander, of which there's a few others coaching around the world and probably a few more in Super Rugby who would fit the bill pretty nicely, but um, yeah, he's, he's got it all ahead of him. Yeah, I wonder if Jake White throws that in the ring on this one again. He seems to go for every job known to man, doesn't he? So, and I, I think I've, I've heard that Razzy Erasmus was also in contention, but he withdrew from the running, basically, because he considered Kutzer to be a lock on, on the position. What a refreshing change, but if South Africa do do bring attacking rugby uh, to, to the top tier uh, of the sport, I mean, you, we certainly have England uh, uh, playing slightly more adventurous than Eddie Jones, and then if, if South Africa can bring that to fruition and, and um, you know, open up some of that back line, then, yeah. And, and they've got all the makings of that attack in well, the back line. wonderful players. I know Hondro Pilot is, is injured this year, which is a blow, but obviously Jesse Creel on the centres. Damien Dialonde. Yeah, they've got no shortage of wing talent over there, and, and Willie LaRue, who, you know, can be, do have the odd brain explosion, but, um, you know, he, he delivers a lot of quality as well. So, yeah, they've got all the makings there that they just need the coach and, and the systems in place to really, you know, bring on that that change in, in attacking. Yeah, that, you, you do wonder as well whether there's a, a mindset beyond the coach and the top level team that in South African rugby as a whole that it's not concealed probably conservatives the, the fairest statement that 
a lot of their teams play that way. And certainly it's notice, noticeable that Kutzer in, in his appointment said he's, he has to evolve the team in certain ways. So it'll certainly be interesting to see how they play uh, in the rugby championship and, and going forward. Um, point four, guys, and this is another one that, that's topical given the release this week of the ALU's five-year strategic plan. And, and Lance, I'd like to come to you first because this is all about they're talking about development workforce to increase grassroots rugby and one of the reasons we, we're coming to you first is we know that your little tacker has just started suiting up uh, at junior rugby um so just like to get your thoughts on yeah, the first baby steps you're taking as a parent in in the rugby world yeah it's an interesting one um we uh, our, our middle boy riley is um is lining up for the maruba missiles down here in sydney <laughs> um it's it's yeah it's an interesting uh setup uh, he look he's only five years old and he's playing up a grade in the under sixes down at the uh Ooh. down at the missiles um but I'll, I'll just add that there's no uh there's no tackling until they're eight years old uh it's it's two-handed touch and look if they're running in the right direction it's a great result at that age um um, there, there's a few interesting things happening down there. I, I think amid the grassroots, we have one Daryl Gibson, who uh, many will know has 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 made some uh, he comments. Fired up the other week. Didn't he, he fired up the other week around uh, Eddie Jones uh, killing killing Australian rugby, albeit a decade ago, um, and and that's right down at the grassroots. Well, well, Daryl Gibson has actually been down at Maroubra Missiles training uh, most. Most Wednesdays I see him down there and I, I suspect he's got a child involved at, at, at that level or certainly not at the under sixes but uh, slightly higher and um, look if he's serious about wanting to change the, change the grassroots and uh, repair some of uh, for Eddie's bad work then um, then he's in the right place because uh, basically what happens in, in, in southeastern Sydney is, is all the eastern conference teams of the juniors swarm to Nagel Park Maroubra on a Saturday um, and that's everyone from across the eastern suburbs and down into the south that uh, and it, it's just like massive in terms of uh, the amount of participation that's going on there. I, I saw, I noticed in the AAU's report there is a drop in participation, which they do attribute to the um, possibly a fair bit to the new registration fees. Um, I I actually support the registration fees. I think it needed more structure there. Um, I was quite happy to pay my fee for, for little Riley. It was all of $70 or whatever it was for the season. But I can tell you now, comparative to, to other sports that we're, pl- we're paying mm-hmm. for, um, that, that is very cheap. Um, most kids' uh, season sports are, are like two to $300 a season, which is just ludicrous um you know they can they can play rugby for 70 bucks a season and that includes your free jersey your free shorts and uh free socks but um look it was definitely a a a fair debate in the uh in the pd household between my wife came from uh, a family of four she had three older brothers that weren't even allowed to play rugby so um marrying me who's a rugby tragic uh, it was quite a, a debate for a little while um, our eldest boy uh, is not playing rugby he's, he's not quite suited suited to it he's, he's mold of body and he, he's just got other interests but um, Riley uh, our middle boy he's, he's definitely made for it he loves a bit of rough and tumble with with daddy and our, our feeling is that if you lay the foundation this early 
um, and I'll add again that they're not tackling until they're eight years old. He's just getting the basic skills right here. Um, as much as he wants to talk to mummy and daddy about how many tries he scored or how he's the fastest in the team, what we're trying to encourage him to do is just get the basics right and make sure he passes to people behind him and he actually runs in the right direction and, and, yeah. and get the basics right. They're the things that we uh, we want to instill. And, and just out of interest, I mean, one of the other big issues in, in rugby at all levels is health and well-being and concussions are a massive issue. Now, obviously, you're not... Uh, Riley and his, his, his little mates, they're, they're not tackling it for another couple of years, but how much of an issue as a, a rugby parent is that for you, concussion? Is that down the track or do you not worry about that? And... Oh, look, I, it, it, it has to remain a consideration yep. in any contact sport, really. Um, I remember, you know, playing rugby all through my youth. I had my first real concussion at 13 years old, um, which, you know, for a developing brain, that's a shocking, shocking thing to happen. I remember when it was, I remember it really well, uh, playing for Maris Dashgrove against Gregory Terrace in a trial match up in Brisbane, and it was... Um, it was frightening because my brother was watching and I said to him after the game, I, I said to him, I heard this ringing in my ears when I went to the ground and then I sort of came to and realised that I was playing rugby and, you know, for a 13-year-old, that's quite a scary uh, scary thing yeah. to happen. Um, I, I definitely had more than just that concussion throughout my uh, youth in playing rugby, but... Look, it's part and parcel of the game. I think it's it's getting a lot of attention, and it needs to get a lot of attention um, from from the top down, from an elite level. But I think, as you, as um, you know, as listeners and readers would have seen from Nick Rewalt, our AFL columnist um, for ESPN.com, um, he gave us a great insight this week to to the kind of test that they undergo before they can actually re-enter the field after they've been concussed in a, in a big game there. And and I'll, I, I tell you what, that was quite a quite a stringent test, yeah. albeit it did sound a bit backward in a way. It's almost like, you know, getting a, a drunk in the US to walk the white line <laughs> when they get a sobriety, <laughs> sobriety test. But, um, but look, they're, they're, uh, there's a lot of attention on it and I think um, it, it's part of the risk. And, and if, they, if they're playing it from an early... Age, I, I think um, we'll be right to manage it. Yeah, excellent. Now, now, Sam, you've you've wrote a report for ESPN.com on the the five year strategic plan. Um, now, one thing I've noticed in a couple of the quotes there attributed to the ARU officials is it seems to be here's a destination without necessarily a journey and a path to the destination. I'm, I'm sure that's not the case in the detail of of, of the strategic plan. No, and and a lot of it. We'll go back to sevens again, and that's that's their grand plan. Certainly to get kids in playing the game, and girls in particular. Um, it's a nice introduction. Obviously, there's less players on the field, and you can really work, you know, set up those basic skills. My concern with it then is then bringing that, that to the next level and turning that sevens interest, identifying the talent that we see in that form of the game and then turning that in to 15s. Yeah. Because I think a problem for rugby over the years has been talent identification at those younger age groups. Uh, I remember going to the New South Wales PWSA Carnival down in Cowra when I was in year six, and you could see the NRL scouts all there. And that's at age 12, not a sign of a rugby scout anywhere. And that's where we really lose out on that lower end talent. So I think it's really great that we're attempting to get more people playing the game. But if we want to see that success built at the top end, that filter through into whether it's shoot shield or premier rugby in Queensland to super rugby, sorry, NRC, Super Rugby, and then, of course, the Wallabies, then we've really got to make sure that we see these, yep, sevens, 
well, geez, that kid's good, you know, or geez, I see some talent in that kid. Yeah. How do we then, okay, maybe not suited to sevens in the long run, let's switch them into 15s, let's set up a program so that we can really progress them through those age groups. And hopefully, you know, with a 50% increase in the development workforce, um, that that will come. Greg Groudon did make an interesting point that what's 50% of none. Now, <laughs> read into that what you will, but um, certainly I know I'm from the, the bush originally and certainly a, a massive decrease in what were the development officers out my way when I was growing up to the point where I think you had one probably carry, covering, you know, from yeah. Tamworth northwest, if you imagine the top half of New South Wales and, and to the west, that uh, having one person to do that was just not acceptable. So, yeah, let's... Um, Look, it's in writing. If, if you do take a look at it, either the ebook or there's a PDF, you can download and and, uh, and read through that. It is set out the plan, but um, you know at the moment it's just words on a on a piece of paper, yeah. and, and we'll wait and see what the actual um, results are. Yeah, and, and I guess just briefly, what what's for the what's in there for for the clubs? I mean, that's obviously been one of the, the big issues, certainly in Sydney, the Shoot Shield, uh, the level of finances, and, and Greg Groudon on on ESPN has, has been quite vocal on that, and joined by, by Brett Papworth just recently. Um, what's the, the, the funding and the allocations in there for, for Shoot Shield and Premier Rugby Clubs? Well, that's not quite so clear, and I think that's probably where there's going to be um, still a bit of you know uh, real anger towards the ARU. Um, we all know that there was virtually no money dished out to that level this year. Uh, the ARU has got more money coming in via the new broadcasting deal. Um, which was bumped up by all the overseas interest, not necessarily from our local market. Um, so that will be where hopefully some of that money comes from. Because I, I think, again, as a, a guy my age now, 28, um, I'm still tossing up whether to play the odd game this year. Um, but the thing is, you've, you've got to really make it worthwhile and, and keep the guys interested at, at that level. That was where the decrease in players were, um, particularly. Um, so how we, you know, and the clubs, if they're, if they're, prices for registration fees are going up then you know the attraction for people for blokes or, or women in their 20s to want to go and play rugby probably just gets hit a little bit so yeah I, I think we'll we'll probably hear in the, the coming days just a bit of reaction to what that actually says the actual five-year plan and how the clubs are, are viewing that um, they'll probably need a bit of time to digest it and, and really go through it but, um, yeah, look, there's, uh, there's certainly been plenty of anger out there this year and we'll just have to wait and see if they feel like this is a step in the right direction. Yeah. I, I think, guys, just on that one, it feels like the, the NRC has probably sucked uh, any kind of funds that the ARU were going to deliver to, to club rugby at, at a Sydney and, and, and Brisbane level and, and Canberra level for that, for that matter. But I, I think over time when these uh, funds disseminate, I'm really hope and the direction it seems to be going is that that the heartbed um, will will be looked after I know um, certainly club rugby TV who look after the shoot shield um, broadcasts which ESPN is a proud sponsor of the pre-game show on uh, on 7 to uh, 3 p.m. every Saturday <laughs> sorry blatant plug there guys we've got, got it plugs, come on <laughs> um, so look the, I definitely talking to uh, to club rugby TV and, and the direction things are going there they are getting uh, support increased support from the ARU uh, around development of that so look there are some very vocal clubs out there that that weren't happy with the way things were approached originally but it feels like we we need a bit of patience to, to, to just sit back and go okay where's this going to fall this new deal are they happy with their ratings Lance? 
Um, yeah, certainly. I, I think the bigger games um, certainly um, uh, are as are, as expected. Um, the broadcast has, has improved considerably um, with the funds that have come from the ARU. They've got a, a raft of additional sponsors on board this year that have helped uh, help grow it a lot. So certainly for, from the Shoot Shield perspective, it, it seems to be going in the right direction. And look, Channel 7 wouldn't, uh, wouldn't stick around for a second year if they didn't see some, uh, some positive shoots in terms of where it's going. Yeah, which, is, which has got to be all good news. Um, point five, guys, and probably something that's not so positive, given their, their past, um, the two teams' concerns, their past couple of results. It's the Brumbies against the Waratahs this week. Um, I'm not even sure I knew it was coming on. This is normally one of the highest profile games of the Australian calendar. Uh, and Sam Bruce, barely a whisper out of, out of either camp. Uh, can, can you believe it's Tarwi? I really can't, Andy. I suppose we've got to mention the fact that there's a big stadium war going on here in Sydney at the moment involving all codes. Well, maybe not the AFL, but certainly uh, rugby and rugby league and uh, Sydney FC, the A-League franchise as well. Um, that's almost been hijacked and really, you know, taken the shine off what should be the Waratahs' biggest week. It is their biggest rivalry these days because of the deterioration within the Reds. And, you know, we've, we've had a few interesting incidents in this Waratahs-Brumbies clash over the last few years. So you wouldn't know that it was on, really. Um, obviously, Daryl Gibson uh, fronted the media last week and the bye week and made an interesting comment about Eddie Jones, which we've already discussed. Uh, he's been a little quieter this week. They threw up Dean Mum yesterday, who, you know, Unless you're probably a rusted-on rugby fan, you wouldn't really know who he is. Uh, assistant coach Cam Blades. I think they've got Daryl Gibson and Michael Hooper up at the uh, captain's run on Friday. But, um, yeah, I, maybe it's the calm before the storm. Who knows? And, and let's hope so because the, the Waratahs were, let's be honest here, they were horrendous against the Rebels a fortnight ago. And the Brumbies, they see, probably ran out of gas after their trip home yeah. from South Africa. But um, certainly when the, when the Chiefs really stepped it up a gear, they were, they were just... A distant second. Yeah, there you have it, guys. I think they're both um, <laughs> they're coming off some two very average performances and a buy. So um, it just it just it's I, I I've got no doubt that there'll be plenty of passion in this one. Um, it, it certainly as soon as they go out on that field, it, it might have an impact on the crowd numbers given how how under the radar it's been um, this week and, and the week before, but. Yeah, come come game time, it it really will be. Uh, do, do you think? I mean, it's interesting referencing your your, your comments about the sevens players and do, do the clubs actually have the, well, the franchises? Do they have an obligation to promote this better than they have done? This is one of the highlight, the high ranking games of the Australian Super Rugby season. Yeah, maybe look uh, whether they um, they pump the previous. Um, Derby too too much and, and there's marketing funds have been exhausted or, or not who, who knows um, but look we know there's there's definitely more um, uh, more derbies under this format and it, and it seems like yeah perhaps that's uh, that that might be the case I, I'm, I'm at a bit of a loss as to why it's fallen under the radar apart from two average performances and a bit of a break with the, the buy but uh, it, it'll be game on don't don't you worry about that. Yeah, game on. And uh, I guess before we go, we're going to give everyone a little bit of a bonus, 0.5.1. And this is just in reference, Sam, to a story we've published today. It's um, Craig Dowd, the former New Zealand All Blacks prop, with his piece. Uh, he was asked the question whether Steve Hansen, his thoughts on whether Steve Hansen should remain All Blacks coach post the British and Irish Lions tour and go through to Japan. And it's kind of like a two-sided argument. 
Yeah, it's really well done from Craig. Uh, at least both the pros and cons of uh, Steve Hansen going through to 2019. Uh, he said if he's keen to do it, then he'd happily roll out the red carpet for him. <laughs> but, yeah, certainly there's some questions to be answered over the next um, 18 months to two years. He's got to oversee the transformation this year, and, and as we've seen in Super Rugby, that's probably not going to be too difficult <laughs> um, with how well the New Zealand sides have been playing, and in particular those players who are really you know keen to jump in at number 10, number 12, 13, number 7. Um, but then there's the other, the flip side of things too, you know, do they need a fresh voice? He's He's been there since the 2007 World Cup in some capacity. Um, he took them to... He was there in 2011 under Graham Henry. He took them over, and we all know it's about a 93 or 92% winning record that he has. So the players are, are obviously, you know, love having him around and really respond to his methods. But, um, you know, is, is there a risk of pushing that on too long? I guess that's the big one. Um, he was, after the World Cup, he did say he was probably 30 percent to stay on to 2019 that's now up to 50 50 so yeah we might see just after this year's uh, they've got three tests against wales in june and then of course the rugby championship i think we'll probably get an idea then of just how he's feeling he's got to rebuild his midfield guys there's a lot of a uh, lot of test caps sucked out of that one there and um look karevi made some solid inroads against one of the, one of the incumbent centers for uh just on the weekend for the reds so it, it, i just don't think I, he's got plenty of depth let's face it he's spoiled for depth in terms of rebuilding that midfield but trying to get those uh those guys to hum together you can rest assured wales will be <laughs> targeting that midfield like nothing else and um and you, you know, I think Michael Check will be hoping that Wales don't target it too much because that'll force them to shore it up good and proper before the, the Bledisloe clashes. But um, yeah, that's that's definitely if there's any vulnerability in the All Blacks and, and the rebuilding piece, it's it's got to be there. And that's all we have time for. It's been a wonderful chat, guys. Thank you, Lance. Thank Thanks, you, guys. Sam, for your time. It's uh, great as always to be discussing. And everyone who's listening, don't forget ESPN.com forward slash rugby for all your news around this great game thank you very much bye bye